Hello and welcome back to Newsreel with Joe and Neil. I'm Joe. I'm Neil. And this week, anti-Semitism. It's a thing, in case you didn't know. It's been a crazy couple of weeks in the United States. U.S. media politics is swarming around this issue of a new congresswoman's anti-Semitism. This shouldn't really be newsworthy, but there you go. It is. Another reason for discussing this today is because it's hard to miss the fact that this is now the... <clears throat> concurrent issue in three major Western countries, the United States, the United Kingdom, and France. Pretty much simultaneously, but for entirely different reasons, this thing has emerged, the issue of anti-Semitism. It's remarkable, but that's just basically the only thing we want to, to say about it, really, just for people to take notice of the fact that simultaneously in three countries, for three different reasons, this isn't like there's one scandal and it has connecting fibres say there's a corruption scandal involving a politician and a corporation, and they both have links in, in two or three different countries. No, it erupted uh, internally for its own reasons separately at the same time mm. in three countries. And that those three countries just happen to be pretty much three of them. Like, together they form the kind of basic troika, the core of the Western NATO slash banking slash Western Empire or Western system. Is that a coincidence? Probably not, because what impacts one pretty much will impact the other. But ostensibly, as the media stories go, these are three very separate issues. But they're not. And there's nothing to see here as far as the coincidence of timing is concerned. There's nothing but, to see here? Well, no one is making that link. I think that's not mm -hmm. true. I found one article that's actually noticed and made comment, past comment on the fact that simultaneously it's happening in three different countries. That was a Haaretz editorial. <coughs> and they said something to the effect that just in passing at the end of their, obviously their editorial condemning anti-Semitism, that um, as a kind of, this was proof to Jews generally and Israelis in particular there you go it's a real issue it's a real phenomenon most people out there hate you because you're Jewish and look how it just flew across the Atlantic from the United Kingdom recently to the United States that was it that was the end of their any discussion about why it might be happening in three places at well, the same time well let's ask some basic questions right to see if we can define some basic truths here um is it true to say that Western, major Western governments have for quite a long time been extremely sensitive to um, Jewish interests, or the interests of Jewish people, and by extension, the state of Israel? True. The next question is, why? Because the Holocaust, I suppose, is the abbreviated or, Yeah, what's answer? their narrative? What would the their, boilerplate answer? What would their answer be, yeah? Um, their answer would be... Because of the Holocaust, comma, and thus never again. <coughs> right. But is there more to it than that? Obviously, if you, if you go to a kind of geopolitical perspective, uh, then there would be more to it in the sense of Israel and the creation of the State of Israel in the Middle East at the, just after the First World War and the role that Israel has played from a geopolitical perspective uh, in service to uh, Western interests in the region, in the Middle Eastern region, right? I it's mean, important to it. It's important to it because Israel, as a country in the Middle East, is obviously fully aligned with the West 
and the West, Western interests in the Middle East, and therefore it's like an outpost of Western interests in that part of the world, a uh, strategically important part of the world. So those two, which is on first? Uh, you take a cynical view, and you would say that Western politicians being interested in you know their own power and, and, and positions would be more concerned about the geopolitical aspects of uh, of support for Israel rather than any supposed uh, threat to Jewish people from anti-Semitism, right? True. You would, you would you would be cynical and say that that's yes. probably what motivates them. They, of course, they 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 talk mostly about or almost only about um, anti-Semitism and the Holocaust and never again. Because that is more appealing to people, it pulls at people, tugs at people's heartstrings, and makes them look like good, sensitive, caring, anti, uh, you know, anti-racist or anti, anti-anti-Semitic type people, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, if you're going to choose one, you're going to to push to the public. You're going to choose the the angle of I care about anti-Semitism and making sure the Holocaust, etc., that kind of thing never happens again. That's why I'm all for. Israel, basically, that's that's the core, the source of my uh, my um, support for Israel or, Israel or our support for Israel. But real politic and all that, it's really probably got nothing to do with um, any concern for a, uh, about a rise in anti-Semitism or concern for the the welfare of the Jewish people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it's a really difficult uh, yeah problem right, right there. There's already a paradox. Maybe the first one in a, in a whole series of them. In defending oneself, if one is on, if being accused of such anti-Semitism, one points out that, well, hang on a second. I specifically said this, and it's nearly always, invariably, unless they actually genuinely hate Jews and really do believe Jews are the fountain of all evil, it's nearly always a comment they made about Israel, and specifically Israel's policies. Uh, vis-a-vis the Palestinians. Uh, we were, we've just gone through the third night of the bomb in Gaza. Like, I mean, y- you are allowed to say quite reasonably without deserving accusations of being a, a vile scum of the earth racist. Hang on a second, that's not on. Or even just to mention the fact that it's happening. I mean, mm-hmm. it's quietly happening all the time, but it usually doesn't get any media attention. So right there, that's the first paradox. It, your defense against being called an anti-Semite is... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not against the Jews, but I am against what the Israeli government yeah, does well that, in general or maybe even just this in specific. Right. Well, that goes to the heart of, of the, the, the current uh, issue right now where you had a U.S. congresswoman um, make those kind of statements, basically, that she was, uh, you know, it's, it's okay that she should be allowed to be critical of the state of Israel and, and also why should <clears throat> she, she um, I suppose she went a bit further um, this is what's her face, uh, Ilan. Uh, Ilan, I don't o- Ilan Omar. Omar, yeah. She um, she's a new Muslim congresswoman, and she basically said that uh, she questioned uh, why uh, she should be required as a congresswoman, as a as a, as a U.S. politician, to be uh, to be kind of over, overly overly favorable to the state of Israel, or she's not allowed to criticize. Uh, a, a foreign power. Why should she, you know, that, show undue allegiance? That to actually them? came after. I have, I have that sort of timeline. I think mm-hmm. I've got my head around it 
thanks to there are a thousand summaries out there, and they're all pretty much in agreement. It actually began with a kind of attack against her, an oblique one, mm-hmm. from a Republican. I'm not even sure he's a senator himself. Kevin McCarthy? Maybe he's just an organizer. Anyway, he threatened that Ilan Omar and another new young um, female Muslim Democratic uh, congressman, I think for Michigan, I forgot mm-hmm. her name, uh, accused them both kind of indirectly. Um, he didn't accuse them. In fact, he said specifically that he will be seeking to punish them for their critical views of Israel. This was February 11th. Mm-hmm. He tweets, if they, the Democrats in general, the party, do not take action, I think you'll see action for myself. This criticism of Israel cannot sustain itself it's unacceptable in this country. Mm-hmm. He wasn't referring even specifically to anything she had just said, but to her known support for the BDS, the Boycott, Divestment mm-hmm. and Sanctions Movement, mm-hmm. uh, mostly on campuses mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, she, she, right. she didn't even respond to that, not yet. Green, uh, Glenn Greenwald kind of gave this tweet some legs to a wider audience by tweeting in response, again, obliquely. He's not counterattacking against this Kevin McCarthy. He says... It's stunning how much time U.S. political leaders spend defending a foreign nation, even if it means attacking the free speech of Americans. That's a simple general truth you can mm-hmm. perfectly well say in response. Glenn Greenwald is, of course, himself Jewish. But anyway, um, Omar then tweets in response to Glenn Greenwald with just a one-liner. It's all about the Benjamin's baby. Mm-hmm. And then all hell breaks loose and everyone freaks out and loses their mind. Because that's, a, that's a, an anti-Semitic trope, right? That's a, no. That's, that's money. This is, uh, where it gets, money. this is where it gets weird. Until February the 11th, 2019, that wasn't. That is a line from a rap song. No, but it, it, even it is an anti-Semitic trope to make that reference. It's all about the Benjamins in the context of, of talking about uh, support for Israel. And Why? Because, because part, an anti-Semitic trope is that Jews, Jews and money. Of okay. course, that's, that's the red flag. That's the thing that set people off. So you're talking about Jews and money here. Jews loving money, right? The covetous Jew and his love for money. That, that by, by definition, oh, her saying that. Oh, because she chose to use that there. But that line itself has it never, does, that song has never been, con- that's no, never been considered. No, but it doesn't Jews. matter. She can use any reference she wants to money. But if okay. she refers to money in the context of a discussion about Jews... Well, that's it. You're done. Bye-bye. Right. You're an anti-Semite. Right, right. You're saying Jews love money? Is that what you're saying? It seems like it. It's all about the Benjamins. What's all about the Benjamins? Jews? The Jewish lobby? Is all about Benjamins? All about $100 bills? Is that what you're saying? Uh, apparently. Oh, so, okay, so you're an anti-Semite then. Okay, let's move on. And, uh, and, and let's throw you out of Congress and move on, you know. So that's, 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 the, that's the red flag. Like, you may as well say... I mean, it's close. The next worst, only next worst thing would be some kind of blood libel or something, you know, or some right. kind of um, you talk about uh, circumstances. Well, that's that's interesting. <coughs> you needed to explain that for me to, for that to be clear in my head. But Come these people, uh, these people, I won't say it's Jews in particular because it's not just. There's a lot of people out there who got it right away. I don't know. Well, maybe yeah. maybe I'm dumb and you all are super smart because I've had to think it through. Because think about it, it's a double-double negative, the whole case. It's an anti-anti-Semitism. Then you've got to work out what is anti-Semitism. And then you've got to work out what exactly are the references to Jews or not, the, the tropes they're called, right? It's a freaking complex task. And yet there are some people who are, seem to be so exquisitely in tune with it, they instinctively know oh, yeah. but, uh, in anticipation. Oh, hang on, the words are coming out of someone's mouth. Yes, there they are. That's the yeah, end. But, but How did you know to explain? To anticipate that, well, because because they're 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 so common. I mean, it's it's like the, 
when you think of criticism of Jews, what do you think of? You know, and, and, and historically, right? You know, money and influence, right? You know, uh, yeah. I mean, there were, I mean, there's cartoons that were made during the, uh, you know, in, in not not just in, in under the Nazis in Germany, but in other European countries at a time at the beginning of last century, and and before that, when it was quite kosher, if you excuse the the pun, to to be to describe Jews in that way uh, amongst Western politicians, like. Uh, before that, in the eighteen hundreds, uh, there's really a British Prime Minister was well known for his anti-Semitic uh, views. Henry Ford, <coughs> uh, the maker of Ford automobiles, was uh, was a known as to, as called today a known anti-Semite. You know, so there's a p- point in time when anti-Semitism was quite <coughs> was quite okay. I think Churchill as well was known to be a bit to, to say the odd bad thing about Jews. Um, Winston Churchill. So um, at, at that time, when it was more uh, acceptable uh, in, in civil society to say those kind of things, and it was being said by politicians and stuff like that. That's what gave rise to um, you know cartoons and, and different things like that, that portrayed Jews in in this light. So uh, and and they persisted. You know, of course, you had the Holocaust and and um, all of the the negative stereotypes that were that were presented by the Nazis about Jews to justify the Holocaust and that kind of thing. So. It's part of the Western psyche at this point. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, you can't, you, you know, I mean, most people know, most people, at least that are, you know, half clued in, uh, know that there's certain things that you really can't say, you know, that you really, you know, and it's it's a taboo, basically. It's a, it's a very clear taboo. Nobody can say, well, this is the question, is it nobody can say what everybody knows or nobody yeah. can say what actually isn't true and it's only producing harm? Yeah, well, the the bizarre thing is that the thing, one thing that Jews historically are accused of, and that is called uh, anti-Semitic today, is uh, kind of keeping themselves apart from the society within the society in the society within which they live. They kind of keep themselves apart, and have in the past been suspected or accused of, you know, working in some way or other against. That's sad. Whether or not that's sad, that that was true, the very mere fact of them keeping themselves apart uh, would uh, give rise to suspicions from other people. Could give rise to suspicions from other people in the society that there's something not something a bit suspicious about those Jews, quote unquote. Mm. So um, that uh, you know, I mean, there's no point in going into whether or not there's any truth to that or whatever, but. I mean, there is truth to the fact that they kept themselves apart and ha- do tend to keep themselves apart because of their cultural and religious background and beliefs, basically, that they, that they're a, they are a people apart. I mean, it's in their religious books and stuff that there are people apart and, and there's all sorts of references that people probably know uh, that the Jews themselves kind of ascribe to uh, to themselves, you know. So what's bizarre is that the fact that they, they have done that very often throughout history, kind of kept themselves apart, and that they do, in the religious texts, they do make claim to being a kind of a special people, let's say, or a God's chosen people type thing. Mm-hmm. And and then to disallow ordinary people or to forbid ordinary people from taking those, I think, objective facts and just repeating them. Of course, they shouldn't be used to persecute Jewish people or to you know to engage in racism or anti-Semitism whatever you want to call it against Jews but there is clearly a truth about uh, about about that Jewish cultural mindset and religious mindset that does tend to set them apart and in that sense 
That, but that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It shouldn't be a bad thing unless they're doing something bad on the basis of it, unless they're, they're using it to gain, to, to, to gain influence and power that, you know, that is in some way nefarious. And this is where we get back to the Palestinian situation, you know, where, uh, where it puts them, where people believe that that kind of a, uh, them setting themselves apart and gaining power and, 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 and then using anti-Semitism to protect themselves from any reproachment allows them to do things, at least, and here I'm talking about the state of Israel, because it, it benefits from that, that uh, protection as well, allows them to get away with doing things that, uh, that other countries wouldn't get away with, wouldn't be allowed to get away with. Like, for example, you can't, you're not allowed in the US, and this is part of the reason we're talking about this, is you're not allowed to criticize Israel's action, actions against Palestinians. You're not allowed to call them kind of brutal or inhumane or war crimes because that's, that means you hate Jews. That means you're, you know, you're immediately thrown back into Nazi Germany and it means that if you criticize Israel or the actions of the state of Israel, you're shut down uh, by being accused of hating Jews and wanting to kill all the Jews, uh, which is what many people repeatedly over and over again, this isn't something new, have said that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous to make that accusation against me when I see you know, the Israeli uh, military indiscriminately bombing Gaza and killing hundreds of children. When I say, hey, Israel, that's a bit kind of, uh, you know, that's a bit excessive. Maybe you're, you know, you're, you're being a bit bloodthirsty and brutal there. How dare you, dirty anti-Semite, you want to kill all the Jews, don't you? Yeah, but th- this, is, this is fairly new in that it's being articulated officially at government levels now. We heard it from Macron. We discussed it briefly on the show a few weeks ago. It, it was shocking even for the French public discourse that the government was seriously considering equivocating, making, making, no, making no distinction between going, oh, God, Israel, can you please stop bombing people? And, oh, you hate the Jews. They were going to actually expand the definition of anti-Semitism mm-hmm. to include criticism of Israel. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's just, that's the only kind of new thing in that it's at this kind of level of policy where it's, it seems to be being taken seriously mm-hmm. yeah. by Western governments and Western policymakers right but, now. But again, that then brings up the question of what influence do Jewish lobby groups have over Western, Western politicians well, that they would be able to push them to enact those kind of policies and pass those kind of laws to be so protective of Israel that then gets you back into the the, the kind of Jewish conspiracy trope that there are there are that there are Jews conspiring to gain control over Western politicians, and they're achieving it and they're doing it. But then at the same time, like we said at the beginning of the show, there's a convergence of interest. There where Western politicians, like non-Jewish Western politicians, don't need to have their arms twisted so much. Because they have a vested interest in protecting the state of Israel themselves. Because Israel, the state of Israel in the Middle East is an outpost of Western, Western powers, of, of, of Anglo-America, let's say, of, of, of Western, Western Europe and particularly the USA. It's an outpost of, the, of that power center, or you could even call it just an outpost, an American outpost. It's a 52nd state, the 51st state. Um, <clears throat> so when Glenn Greenwald uh, says, you know, um, how, your, how U.S. politicians aren't allowed to criticize a foreign a foreign government? That's not exactly true in in 
in reality in the way things in the real politic world uh, because Israel isn't really a foreign country. It's not a foreign nation. Uh, it's, it's, it's part of America. Yeah, which was very well articulated by Nancy Pelosi. Mm. Um, I was an old video that was dug up recently where in a Q&A somewhere in D.C. To, to an audience, she said, you know, if the capital mm-hmm. D.C., were to collapse into the dust to dust into the ground, we would still be loyal to Israel. Well, she didn't use the word loyal, but I think she used something even stronger. I mean, she's basically trying to say, yeah, it's definitely one of the same country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's... The you, you get an answer to, to, to the Israeli influence immediately, by the way. Nancy Pelosi condemns Ilan Omar. Yeah, right. Ilan no. Omar uh, <clears throat> apologizes unequivocally, um, having now been, quote, her own words, educated to those tropes one must avoid, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which apparently I need some of too, this education. Um, then, late last week, um, the Democrats lead a, a resolution in Congress. Is that a law? I'm not sure. Everyone agrees with it. It's passed. A bill. A bill. Yeah. Well, proposed bill. Condemning. But it didn't get passed. It got thrown out. Here's the thing. It was an expansive definition of anti-Semitism. Uh, the same way as as the, the French government right. proposed, that includes anti-Semitism adopted by the state. Uh, sorry, adopted by the State Department in two thousand ten, and drafted by International Holocaust Remembrance, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. Um, it's a four-page resolution that denounces accusing Jewish citizens of being more loyal to Israel, or to, or to the alleged priorities of Jews worldwide than to the interest of their own nations. And one line praises Jewish enlistment in the U.S. military. Um, so that was meant. That was an expanding uh, 2010 um, bill uh, resolution, uh, and expanded it to denouncing the accusation against Jews, Jewish citizens of the USA in particular, obviously, of being more loyal to Israel. Uh, or the alleged priorities of Jews worldwide than to the interests of their own nations, which is obviously America. So it says you cannot accuse Jews, no matter what they do in America, American Jews, you cannot accuse them, no matter what they do, of being more loyal to uh, Israel. Even if what they're doing is clearly, um, could be construed or could be seen or could, uh, a valid opinion would be that the, uh, the, what Jewish activist groups in the US, you know, peopled by US citizens, what they're doing is pushing for policies that are not in the interests of America. But then the question is, like we keep coming back to this question, of, are you, how can you say they're not, are they not in the interests of uh, America? If, if everything that Jewish activist groups run by US citizens, US, US Jewish citizens uh, in the US, if everything they do furthers the uh, protection afforded, let's say, to Israel and, and uh, secures Israel's position in the Middle East and its, its survival in the Middle East, then surely that is, by definition, from a geopolitical point of view, in the American interest. But when you're talking about American interest, whose interest? What interest are you talking about? Are you talking about the political interest, the political class, the Washington elite? Are you talking about the interests of the ordinary American people? What sections of the ordinary American people? It's not so simple, you know? Yeah. But as a general rule, if America today is the U.S. political elite class, then everything that Jewish interest groups do to protect Israel is in the interests of U.S. non-Jewish uh, political elite.
class. Because it's in their interest to have Israel a strong ally in the Middle East to keep back Iran and to secure, in that way, secure uh, the the order, the existing order that existed for many decades in the Middle East that favours American or supports American hegemony in the world. Yeah, it's it's a mind job. And it's no wonder then people freak out over it. You mentioned at the beginning the the, the, the key thing being that historically... Jews have seen themselves as a people apart. Still do. It seems that it seems as though they're reaching to to merge while keeping themselves apart, the best parts that the advantages of keeping themselves apart. They're also look, look at how upfront and center they and their issues are in these three major capitals right now. Mm-hmm. We're apart, but we're all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's it's like yeah. Well, you see, uh, the, 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 their own survival, survival or thriving or whatever, their own choice of way of living it's is gonna, coming under threat. It's not well. Yeah, well, not really. I don't. I don't think it's got anything to do with ordinary Jewish people. The vast majority of ordinary Jewish people in Western countries, in America or, or in Western Europe, it's got nothing to do with them. It's got nothing to do with their interests. Mm. Some of them, a lot of them, can be co-opted. Through emotional hooks and all that kind of stuff, and appeals to 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 you know the the, the homeland and Israel and and the religious sentiments, a lot of them can be pulled into ser- serving an agenda. But you get a, a very clear example of how there's no space between the Western geopolitical perspective and the Western geopolitical agenda in the world. There's no space between that and um, and the and is Israel's interests. And the Israeli lobby. They're all working for exactly the same thing, which is the continuation of Western hegemony and dominance in the world. And the Middle East is a big a big part, a big aspect of that of that hegemony. The example that you uh, the, where you see that, that those two things are, are exactly the same, that they're working for the same exactly the same agenda, is when you look when you see uh, in the UK, uh, and it's been going on for several years now, where the anti Semitism and if you're talking about, you talk about uh, anti-Jewish tropes, uh, anti-Semitism itself has become a trope, or the accusation, or using the accusation of anti-Semitism against someone is a trope at this point, um, because it's been used against Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Liberal Party in the UK, and he poses a direct threat to the established order, uh, the Western-dominant established order mm-hmm. um, in the UK. Uh, which is seen within within the Conservative Party and above the Conservative Party, let's say, and even to some extent within it's it's a kind of deep state or a, a British establishment elite that is mainly focused on the Conservative Party, but also incorporates some mass members of who are nominally Labour or leftist. Yeah, but they're part of the establishment. They're above that left right divide in the same way they are in the US. Um, and those people see Jeremy Corbyn as a Labour leader of the Labour Party in the prospective possible next Prime Minister of the UK as a direct threat to their to the Western order because of his policies and the main way that they've tried, they have attacked him over the past few years has been, has been to call him an anti-Semite and to try to create evidence of anti-Semitism within the Liberal Party under him and almost all of it is all of it is effectively false. It, it's made up accusations about him being an anti-Semite and him being surrounded by anti-Semitism of course the only actual what there is is within the labour movement and the, the left movement in the UK is a, a long-standing pro-Palestinian 
uh, agenda or, or support for Palestinians and, and also for the BDS, for the boycott, divest and, sa- and sanctions to put pressure on Israel to stop them stealing Palestinian land. That's the extent of anti-Semitism in, in the UK Labour Party, uh, which is not anti-Semitism at all. But they use that and then expand it and exaggerate it to accuse him and defame the Labour Party and particularly the Jeremy Corbyn as an anti-Semite. And it's almost as bad as being called a paedophile. You know, it's close. It's only one step away of being, uh, of being uh, yeah. to, to being called a paedophile in terms of it, in terms of the smear that that is affected and the damage that it can do to your reputation. Yeah. Um, so the fact that when the British establishment wants to uh, get rid of a potentially, in their eyes, dangerous to their agenda uh, leader, they first first their first. Uh, Port of call is anti-Semitism tells you, and, and not only not only that it's not just the non-Jewish British elite who are, who are using this anti-Semitism accusation against Jeremy Corbyn. It's being uh, backed up by Jewish lobby groups. So there you see a direct connection between uh, Jewish lobby groups and Jewish in, Jewish interest groups and Israeli lobbying. Is is really should you really say is really Israeli lobby and Israeli interest groups and. Uh, the interests of the British, the Anglo-American, let's say, even establishment or the British establishment and what their geopolitical world agenda is. In that There's respe- no difference. In that respect, then, can we almost, if we, when we open it up to this um, geopolitical level, can we understand then why they are conflating hatred of Jews specifically with criticism of Israel? Because once Corbyn is... Uh, defending Hamas, Hezbollah, other Middle Eastern countries and their interests. Um, he is going against the whole order. And do, do they have a... Do, is there a logic to then why they say he is the vilest, because he is against Jews, because he is... Do, do you see what I'm getting at? The, the, conf, well, the conflation of the two, in a way, it, it's, it's paralogical and it's pathological on the face of it. And most people are condemning it and saying that's, that's outrageous. The French government's backed down. This, this bill in Congress hasn't passed for now. Um, but isn't there, there is a kind of a logic to why it's coming to this point of actually legislating and, and make, therefore making synonymous hatred of Jews with criticism of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, because in their eyes, if you're, if you're criticizing the project, the greater agenda that we all share you know the deep staters, Western imperial, Western hegemony. Yeah. Is it is it simply manipulative, um, real politic that they go, okay, let's kill any kind of movement towards ending or revamping or ch- or regime changing that order we've been so used to now for two three hundred years. How are we going to do it? And someone sat down, kind of thing, and said, "Well, we'll go at it with this." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think. I think it's. I think. I think it's. It's evidence of, like I said before, it's evidence of there being no difference between the British establishment and the the, the interests of the British establishment and the interests of the and the Israeli mm-hmm. lobby interests. Uh, but it's evidence also of the extent to which the Israeli lobby in Western countries, in the UK, in France, and particularly in the US, has an, uh, the extent to which they, or the extent of their power within 
the political establishment. Because essentially, in terms of who makes the decision as to what we'll use against Jeremy Corbyn or what we'll use against uh, Ilan Omar or or AOC or who, who have criticised Israel. The AOC ones, not so much. Well, she's, she's listed as well, yeah. Okay. Uh, and the, the people who make the decision are the people who are... Uh, have, have Jewish or either either Jewish themselves or have pro-Israel uh, strong pro-Israel leanings so the, obviously for them the first thing that would come to their minds is um, is that this person is anti-Semitic mm-hmm. you know I mean they feel it these people who are strongly identified with Israel uh, be they Jewish or not Jewish uh, when they see criticism of Israel they, they feel that this person is anti-Semitic so they naturally will accuse a person of being anti, anti, an anti-Semite. Yeah. And the added bonus, obviously, is that it's a very a very strong, very harsh uh, accusation. Yeah. Uh, a damning accusation to make against someone and can smear someone quite badly. Um, and down the road, we mentioned this before, it's not difficult to see where this would lead to. Mm. Um, if you damage and smear... A lot of essentially good or well-liked people over and over and over. And maybe it dies down, but then you do it again to someone else and so on. Mm. Sooner or later, this new lingo they're talking about where uh, Omar herself used it, educated to these tropes. Uh, I've seen it used in other articles and by commentators. It seems to be a big thing at the moment. One must be educated about Mm. them. Oh, you didn't know that you crossed the red line there. Hang on, sit down and I'll explain it to you. What... The, what is the actual education process that's going to take place in the host countries? Isn't it really obvious that what's going on, what will happen, is a kind of the opposite of what their psychological wish. It's mm. going to have a reverse psychological effect where people are going to take as a heuristic, as a base, it's going to confirm the old right. trope yes. that the Jews are in control of right. all these of course, things. That's, that's the problem. That's the problem, is that uh, that's all it does. It just it, And they have to then up the... They, have to they incre- double down. Well, they have to increase their, their censorship of, of people and, and control over people to stop them from expressing what the Israeli lobby is giving them more evidence uh, of, of, of being true, you know? The, guard, so, the Guardian, by the way, said that, that that thing they tried to pass in Congress was the Israeli lobby was pushing for that. Absolutely. <laughs> of course it was, yeah. Um, well, it was. I mean, the original draft was... was the original draft in 2010 that they were expanding on was uh, drafted by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. I mean, of course, that's staffed by or populated, populated by Jews, you know. But it's interesting the way that it's that idea of uh, unaware of these people being unaware of these trope, tropes, unaware that they can at any moment say something that is anti-Semitic and not even know, know about it themselves. But that then validates the claim that uh, non-Jewish people are, by definition, are... are Genetically, effectively, almost genetically, anti-Semitic. They don't even know it. They don't even know that they don't like Jews or that they have a hatred or, or whatever for Jews, or non-Jewish people. Yeah. That's what some Jewish people claim. Which and I think it's held to by a lot of people. It's very similar to... To the thing that you're, you have unconscious racism, racism. Racism, that you don't know about racism. And you need people who are the victims of racism then to uh, train you and teach you about your inherent racism and tell you, be, kind of be a mentor to you. They should walk alongside you for a few months, spend all their time with you for a few months and watching you and then educate you. When you open your mouth, they listen to what you say and then they'll point out where you're being racist in the words that you say. And so you then can correct yourself. The same thing could be, could be in theory, 
uh, advocated for 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 anti-Semitism. You know that you would everybody should have a, a Jewish person beside them to listen to everything you say and non, to everything the non-Jewish person says uh, at any given point, and then to highlight. You see, there's a little bit of anti-Semitism creeping into what you said. Do you see when you said that word "oive"? Were you using it in a positive way or a negative way? Because that's actually uh, a Hebrew or Yiddish word, and um, you know, maybe you shouldn't be using that. So you could get this kind of instruction. You could have a mentor, you know, a Jewish mentor or an, uh, a person of color mentor, maybe for white people who are um, but even unconsciously racist and unconsciously anti-Semitic. Um, that's for the unconscious masses. But even among, quote-unquote, the tribe, um, Ben Shapiro, mm. is, he's this close to saying it. He hasn't quite published an article or been on camera to say it, but I think he's been tweeting about it. He's getting close to the point of accusing Bernie Sanders of being an anti-Semite mm. because Sanders support, basically defended Omar's views specifically with respect to she, – she has a point about Israeli power uh, and Israeli policy in the Middle East. Let her say it. He basically, basically defended her. That, that, that's considered – once you've said anything close to defending that view – that would in 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 the new uh, dynamic that immediately puts you as an anti-Semite, and he says Ben Shapiro will make that kind of say that kind of thing about Bernie Sanders, knowing everyone knows in the United States that his parents, Bernie Sanders' parents, he's old enough that his parents were killed in or were mm. in mm-hmm. concentration camps. Well, you can be a self-hating Jew. That's been around for a long time, anyway. So they have that covered as well. Ben he, Shapiro, and there's a guy like this is identity politics. Which came on first, the mania for identity politics in general, or specifically the issue of Jewish identity? Mm. Um, well, and, the th- and it's funny how it's all caught up in itself because here you have someone who would ordinarily be fated, so and she was by the left, um, mm. Ilar Omar, Ilan Omar, and uh, a few others, but specifically her because she's the first Muslim Somali refugee. Mm-hmm. She ticks all the boxes for diversity and multiculturalism. Right. Oops, she just crossed the red line. That's the one identity we don't question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, it's it's interesting that the, the reason this has come, come up and is an issue right now is also uh, in the Democratic Party is that they're, they're a victim of their own kind of of the identity politics that the the Democrats and the left in the U.S. have adopted over the past number of years, because that's the reason why you have Ilan Omar and um, the other one from Michigan, uh, Rashida Tlaib, Talib, and and even uh, AOC, uh, even though she's not Jewish, but she's uh, she's very much part of the identity politics brigade that have yeah. got into power and become the freshman Congress women, um, and the fact is that you know you. By definition, almost inevitably, you're going to get some Muslims in there, and if they're young Muslims, ideologically driven and stuff, they're going to be, as we've seen with, uh, particularly with Ilan Omar, they're going to be in some way or other anti-Israel and pro pro Palestinian. Let's say. Uh, so the problem is that, uh, and then they're going to, as they're going to be accused of, of being anti-Semitic, and that's so you have a member of the Democratic Party who is. Uh, making anti, what, are, what are called anti-Semitic statements. Now, normally the, the Democratic Party would be, Democratic Party is historically very pro-Israel, exactly like the Republican Party, you know, for, for, for a very long time. All of American politics has been super pro-Israel. 
So why aren't the Democratic Party, why didn't they get this resolution passed? Why was it rejected? Because there's a pushback uh, uh, from within the Democratic, Democratic Party, uh, even within the kind of upper echelons of it, not up to Nancy Pelosi and people like that, because she's still diehard pro-Israel, but even below that, you have people who are <laughs> who are are not supporting this resolution and defending Ilan Omar and her anti and the accusation that she's anti-Semitic because of Trump, because they see it. We need a united front against Trump, right? And this is actually a way to first of all, one of the, the the responses from the a lot of the Democrats in this is that is that this is distracting from. Our, our attacks on Trump for being anti-racist and sexist and, and anti-immigrant and blah, 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 blah. This is, you know, trying... To, and it's it's infighting within the Democrat Party. We shouldn't do it, so we have to dismiss this accusation of anti-Semitism and refocus on getting Trump. And also, it's a, it's a useful tool because Trump is seen as very pro-Israel. So if, if the Democrats want to be anti-Trump, they kind of have to... Some of them anyway are thinking we have to be anti-Israel. Because if we're anti-Trump and Trump is pro-Israel, we have to be anti-Israel. So Ilan Omar is doing; she's all right. Leave her alone. Right. But that's that's a big that's coming away from the the, the historic Democratic Party stance on Israel, which is absolutely one hundred percent pro-Israel because of the Israel lobby in the USA. And there's a video here that will just segue into uh, with Ilan Omar. It's just a short little video, and it's funny the way. Uh, CNN, Christine Amanpour, oh, Jesus. of all people, uh, who's very pro-Israel as well. But it's amazing that what she actually says here, um, because she asked her a question. Go ahead and play the video there. Can I just move on to something that's generally sort of a rite of passage for politicians in the United States? And that is to sort of profess sort of fealty or at least pay homage to APAC, the, uh, the pro-Israel uh, uh, PAC that is very, very prominent. Um, should... Jewish Americans be worried about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib because of the BDS movement, because of one of the tweets you made a long time ago. You know, you're part of a new wave of Democrats not afraid to be critical of the government of Israel. And during the 2012 military offensive in Gaza, you tweeted, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. How do you put that into context now, and what do you say to American Jews? So I remember when, when that was happening, um, Let me watching you. TV. And yeah, just stop it there, Scotty. Um, just go back to the beginning and play the first 20 seconds again. Can I just move on to something that's generally sort of a rite of passage for politicians in the United States, and that is to sort of profess sort of fealty or at least pay homage to APAC, the, uh, the pro-Israel uh, uh, PAC that is very, very prominent. Just stop um, Should This is CNN and this is Christine Amanpour, who, you know, is very much an establishment politician, absolutely pro, pro-US, pro-Washington pro establishment, pro, and pro-Israel by, by definition. The words she used there, uh, <laughs> play it again, Scotty, will you? Can I just move on to something that's generally sort of a rite of passage for politicians in the United Stop. States? And that is... A rite of passage for politicians in the USA. Politicians just generally. All, all politicians all. in the USA. And so Christian Ampour is just saying it as a matter of fact that a rite of passage for new politicians in the USA and a rite of passage is 
when you it's a it's a, a passage from one group to another from one organization from one whatever from one entity to another yeah uh, so she's using that word and it's a very it's a, all that term and it's a very appropriate term because when you become a politician in the USA you go from being a politician uh, in the USA to uh, to having to declare uh, fealty or homage mm-hmm. to APAC, which is a very powerful, l- and she tried. She was about to say lobby, but she said, PAC. and then she said, "Well, PAC political. No, it's not actually no, a political, but it's a lobby. Community. It's obviously she, it's first, a foreign the first, lobby. The first word was was the correct one. It's lobby. So." Uh, American politicians, when they become politicians, have to go through a process of going from being a U.S. politician to being uh, uh, someone who professes fealty and homage to the Israeli lobby in America. That's according to CNN. Now, how can anybody then come out and say that there's no lobby uh, at exercises... Uh, disproportionate or uh, disproportionate influence on American political life, like the Israeli lobby. Uh, how can they say that, that that it doesn't exist, or how can anybody say criticize anybody for saying that? Uh, I mean, it's that's a, the problem here is that Christian, CNN just told <coughs> all of its viewers that this is a that this is a it's it's a an objective truth, basically. Yes, that. American politicians have to pay fealty, and loyalty. She, she wasn't this, using profess their loyalty yeah. to an Israeli lobby. She wasn't using it ironically. Either. No, just no. Matter of fact, well, 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 well she, the, the thing she was saying was that um, this is what happens, and how do you reconcile that Given with your, that with your statements so, right. against Israel? I mean, how can you justify? The fact that you're critical of Israel when all U.S. politicians have to pay homage and declare their undying loyalty to Israel as an American politician. And nobody has a problem with that. That's bizarre. Um, It's as if Amanpour has uh, a license to basically speak an anti-Semitic trope, which is what it's called in other contexts. She has perfect license to say that to the newbie. And only depending on the newbie's response to it will that trope be cashed in and used as such as a trope. Mm-hmm. It's it's totally like it's in your face. It's public. Like it's so it's a public it's a public kind of um test. Yeah. A test of that fealty and homage. Mm-hmm. And depending on your response now, we'll decide whether or not you're in the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's kind of gaslighting, basically. Yes. That uh, for so many years, is really lobby and is really activist groups, and you know, who are, who are Jewish essentially, uh, members of the Jewish American community, uh, who are driven ideologically by probably by the religious, uh, partly by the religious beliefs. A lot of them, others with more awareness, do it for considerations of power and their own personal power and influence. That's what a lot of things come down to, obviously. What what motivates a lot of human beings is influence and power and money. Um, that, that, that's, you know, that has existed uh, in, in the US for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a no-brainer. It's public knowledge, basically, that, that Israel, 
these groups uh, that represent um it's not they don't really represent Jews it's not about Jews it's about Israel it's about the state of Israel and it's about a group of people who are maybe nominally Jews but at the upper levels don't really care about their religion at all but have in some way or other uh, well through through very well, very well known and obvious means have insinuated themselves into positions of power or or positions of influence within American politics and they use that in service to 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 the state of Israel, I suppose, but that that doesn't really cover. It. At this point, we get into a very grey, murky area, and I'm not really sure what the point is anymore, other than power itself. Uh, and at this point, the interests of Israel as a country in the Middle East, and its particular interests in the Middle East that are unique to it, and the interests of America uh, having Israel as an ally to further is uh, American interests in the Middle East and, and around the world, uh, they converge, basically. And, it and you can no longer some, separate them. You can't separate the two, and and you can't really... I think religion is, is dispensed with, like Judaism and... and uh, like these Jewish activists that go around... Even Jewish nationalism is dispensed right. with at no, that it's point. All, yeah, it's all dispensed with. It's more about control over as much of the world as possible. You have this merging of the American elite... Uh, and the American empire and the American hegemony around the world, those interests converging with, you know, nominally Israeli interests only to the extent that Israel is quite an important piece of the puzzle in terms of securing American hegemony. But that's why you have most, like, isn't it true? Is it true that, no, it's not, I don't think it's true that most Jews in the world live in America, is it? I was looking at this earlier. Um, 6.3 million in Israel. Right. Right, Five point well. seven, nearly the same million in, in the, the United States. Okay, so after that, it drops way right. off. So then, it's true what I'm saying. It's, I would leave out Israel because obviously there's going to be a majority of Jews in Israel, but or a big number of Jews in Israel. But in terms of the rest of the world, that's why so many Jews are in America because that is the seat of of uh, well, it's the seat of the global empire, right? America is the seat of a global empire, and it's where you can. Uh, you can exercise as, uh, most power, let's say, in terms of global affairs. And most money-making. Sorry to say that, but that, that, that is just what it is. But that's not, it's not anti-Semitic to say that Jews... I mean, it's not well, but as, as, if, as, as, soon, as soon as I've articulated in the context know, of our discussion, know, it's, it's like, oh, he's making the association with Jews. No, right. but it's, I mean, as if, as if Jew, everyone as who if wants Jew, to make money. Right, as if Jews are the only ones who, want, who are interested in money. I like money, you know. Uh, there's a lot of people <laughs> who like money, obviously, uh, including Donald Trump. Um, so, and Saudi princes. And Saudi princes, yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is that just as maybe a p possible answer to why uh, this has come, this is happening in these three countries, that we, as you mentioned, at the same time, you know, uh, USA, France, and the UK, where they're all kind of pushing uh, or they're hyping the threat of anti-Semitism and needing to, needing to clamp down on anti-Semitism, etc., there's um, there's a poll, a Gallup poll released just recently showed that 38% of uh, liberal Democrats sympathise more with Palestinians uh, compared to 41% who sympathise more with Israel. And the survey found that national support for Israel in America, national support for Israel is at an all-time low since 2009, down 5% from last year alone. So... <coughs> That's one reason to stop the rot type of thing. Yeah. Uh, when you have an Israel lobby, let's say, 
an interest group like that that has that wields a lot of power within American politics and has done for quite a long time and has increased itself in power when it sees public opinion, you know, because obviously you have to keep public opinion on your on side as well to secure that power within the country. You have to keep people on 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 song and in support of Israel and feeling. Um, you know, aware of anti-Semitism. So that's why you promote the idea of anti-Semitism on the rise, to get people to essentially be supportive of Jews and of Jewish interests, which by extension is Israel, the state of Israel, because that's ultimately their homeland, right? Support being a strange word, it's more like to get them afraid of... Right, well, afraid of, afraid of not supporting, right. let's say. Afraid of saying anything that is not in support of it, you know? And... Um, I mean, I, and I don't think. I mean, this in the in the in the bill or the the proposal uh, that the, that the Democrats put forward. Um, the resolution denounced accusing Jewish citizens of being more loyal to Israel or to the alleged priorities of Jews worldwide. Well, I don't think there are any priorities of Jews worldwide necessarily, but uh, accusing Jewish citizens in the U.S. of being more loyal to Israel. I think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, a lot of them probably don't care about Israel. They're Jews who live in America. Maybe even a majority majority of the Jews who live in America see themselves as American. They're Jewish, American, big deal. Jewish is just Jew, Judaism is my religion. But there are, I think, a lot of people, uh, certainly people who are you know, activists for, for different political activist uh, committees and stuff who are themselves Jewish and see Israel as ultimately their homeland. If not their physical homeland, their spiritual homeland. You know, so how do you tease that one out for those people? Which where ultimately do your priorities or do your allegiances lie? Are you, if it came down to it, and you had to choose between something that was in the interest of America but not in the interest of Israel, or vice versa, which would you put? Which would you go with? Difficult, difficult question for anybody, any diaspora, uh, who who retains strong ties to their homeland or the home of their their parents, or in the case of Israel, their created homeland for them as a people to, you yeah. know, et cetera. Uh, it's a difficult question for anybody. So, I mean, t- to say that you simply, it's it's an anti-Semitic trope and you're an evil, dirty person for saying that some Jews who live in other countries and were born in other countries may have a stronger allegiance to Israel than to their home countries. Why is that anti-Semitic? Because it could be true of any other people. It's just a part of the human, human condition, you know? Mm-hmm. The problem uh, is that because the reason you're not allowed to say that is because it points, it opens the door, points upwards to the existence of a powerful political Jewish lobby within American politics, and that uh, exerts an awful lot of influence over over American American affairs. Now, whether or not those affairs, the, 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 that influence is against American interests or for American interests, like we talked earlier on, is depends on what your definition of American interests are and whose interests. Yeah, Obviously, Israeli interests and the interests of the Israeli lobby are exactly the same as the interests of the American political elite because it relates to Israel and it relates to America's uh, securing America's hegemony in the world through its d- control over the or, or maintenance of the order in the Middle East, which uh, for which Israel is, is, is an important or plays an important role. Yeah. But in the interests of the ordinary American people, no, to the extent that Israel and Israeli, uh, Israeli kind of lobby and activist groups in the US have. Uh, lobbied strongly for uh, the invasion of Iraq, um, the the war, uh, American 
uh, bombing or NATO bombing of, of, of Libya and of Syria and stuff that sends U.S. troops into harm's way. Uh, no, it's not in the interests of, of the ordinary Americans whose sons and daughters go to fight and die in wars that this lobbyist group has a part in advocating for. Yeah. Of that 40% or so, is it 40% of Americans who do support Israel? You know, come what may? A huge tranche of that is informed by religious beliefs, specifically that Israel must be brought to the point of utter destruction mm-hmm. because the end times are coming, at which point they'll convert and be welcomed into our tribe proper as Christians, as us. So it's a tightly bound alliance we have with them because they're about to be a part of us. It's a weird yeah. narrative, I know, but that is actually what informs the, the brotherhood for a large section, or that that's what they're told anyway, and that's what they believe to some extent <clears> or another in the United States about why we must be tightly bound and come what may. The for capital the, may fall, but we still have Israel. For the eschaton. For the eschaton. <coughs> it's a completely bonkers mix. There's an article here um, on this story uh, from the New York Times there, Scott, if you can pull it up. Um, it's kind of a cynical, not kind of cynical or a, a rather coy title to it. Ilan Omar's criticism raises the question, is APAC too powerful? Well, maybe you should have asked that question 30, 40 years ago, maybe, uh, or and asked it every single year since then, because obviously it is. But this, uh, there's a guy in this who's referred to, um, uh, well, not referred to, his name is uh, Stephen Fisk. He's an American citizen, and he's a longtime activist with the American Israeli Public Affairs Committee, uh, and so he's involved in activism for Israel. If you scroll down a little bit there, Scotty, to the uh, just the first picture down below the title picture, there's a picture of him at his home in Florida. Uh, he's a longtime activist with APAC and praying at his home in Florida. Now, he's obviously a devout, uh, very religious Jew, and he and, and, and down at the very bottom there, if you just go down to way past all the pictures, to more or less the last paragraph... Uh, the second last paragraph, it says, In Florida, Mr. Fisk, who you just saw in the image, uh, said it was time for pro-Jewish voices to speak up about Miss Omar and two other Republican freshmen who have been critical of Israel. That's uh, Club and uh, AOC. And he offered a prediction. There are three people who, in my opinion, will not be around in several years. So this guy is fairly high up, but he's just he's an example of these religiously driven uh, individuals who have been active in pro-Israel, pro-Jewish groups for many years, and he is the one who sounded the alarm, let's say, about and started an act- activism against these three women for their, quote-unquote, anti-Semitism. But it's interesting that he makes the prediction that they won't be around in a few years. That right there says, well, how does he have the conviction to be able to say that three just recently elected new congresswomen will be gone in a number of years? I suspect because he's speaking from experience. That's how it works. Cynthia McKinney. Right. Well, Cynthia McKinney fated in the 90s. Right. First black uh, woman representative for Georgia. Won six terms in a row. Mm-hmm. 9-11 happens. She questions that maybe the government had foreknowledge mm-hmm. and then criticizes Israeli bombings of Palestinians. Mm-hmm. And boom. Yep. The next one up in 2002 in the Democratic primaries, this woman comes out of nowhere Cynthia accuses, lays claim that this woman is actually a creature of APAC. Later, subsequently, that's proven to be true. She was put in there to 
kick her off the platform. And McKinney, of course, has since gone on to be an activist in right. many number of things, but she was dead right on that. APAC and actually came in and said, she's a problem, you're out of the club. And she was gone, yeah. So there's an interview here with uh, from a few years ago with Press TV with uh, Cynthia McKinney where she she uh, explains just a few things. won't play at all, but uh, you'll get the general gist here from in a few minutes. Not allowed to do that because I did not toe the line on U.S. policy for Israel. What line is that that they wanted? Were you told directly that you had to toe a line or explain that to me? Well, every candidate for Congress at that time had a pledge. They were given a pledge to, to sign. And I was uh, new on the scene. And uh, so the pledge had Jerusalem as the capital city, uh, the military superiority of Israel. American Congress people have to sign this pledge. Yes, you sign the pledge. If you don't sign the pledge, you don't get money. So for example, it was almost like uh, water torture for me. My parents observed this. I would get a call and uh, the person on the other end of the phone would say, I wanna do a fundraiser for you. And then we would get into the planning. I would get really excited because, of course, you have to have money in order to run a campaign. And then two weeks, three weeks into the planning, they would say, did you sign the pledge? And then I would say, no, I didn't sign the pledge. And then my fundraiser would go kaput. So I just want to get into this pledge a little bit more. Um, So this is uh, basically something that is mandatory, that every congressperson has to sign saying that, what, Jerusalem, you said, is the capital of Israel, and what else? Uh, uh, You make a commitment that you will vote to support the military superiority of Israel, that um, uh, the economic assistance that Israel wants, that you would uh, vote to provide that. This isn't a question for the Congress people serving that they are representing or they're supposed to be representing the people of the United States, not a foreign country, and yet they have to pledge allegiance yes. to a foreign state. That's what no I one was, questions this. That's what I was asked to do. And um, I made it public. This Probably nobody had said anything about it. But I made it public, and then, you know, the excuse was, well, you know, those were just overzealous uh, ag- advocates for Israel. So then the tactic changed. and uh, But this is what is done for 535 members of the United States Congress. 100 senators, 435 members of the House of Representatives have to now write a paragraph, which basically says the same thing. So it's not a pledge, but it's a paragraph, and you post it, and, you know, there are these forums you have to go to at the synagogues or whatever, and then, you know, if you don't perform appropriately, then you don't get money to run your campaign. The problem is that it requires an awful lot of money to run a campaign. And whether it's a woman's organization, an environmental organization, people can read about this on the Internet if they're interested. If you go to uh, thomas.loc.gov, that is the official United States Congress website. And if you put in the name 
uh, Gus Savage, because Gus Savage was a black member of Congress who was targeted by the pro-Israel lobby. And he had the foresight to use his position as an incumbent in the House of Representatives to put his experience on the congressional record for the entire existence of the United States Congress now, people will be able to access his experience. And what he wrote was that it was the Garden Club of New Jersey that gave his opponent $5,000. But it wasn't really the Garden Club of New Jersey. It was the activists who were associated with APAC, the okay. American Israel Public Affairs Committee. Yeah, that Mar- Mar- That's it in black and white, really. Yeah, and that, that woman, actually, Marisa, Marisa Hashami, I think her name is, uh, she, she was... Um, She's a self-American. The Iranian uh, interviewer, is, uh, she was arrested in prison for 10 days for being for espionage. <laughs> um, she tried to return to see her family in the States. Yeah, well, she was released after 10 days, but she was officially arrested and imprisoned for espionage. Uh, she's an Ar- uh, Iranian press TV um, uh, interviewer. Again, news, news reporter, you know? again, diversity is awesome, except if you say certain things. Yeah. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's pretty much what Omar is going through now. Although it's at a, it's bizarre that they've made such a wide, massive issue out of it when it's, but the comparison isn't really the same because it's a series of tweets versus uh, Cynthia McKinney's talking about a more of a legal situation. It's paralegal. It's not literally in law that senators must, but it's expected. And if you don't, yeah, no cash, no no money, and no money, bye bye. So that's the. uh, that's the state of affairs. I mean, it's a, the fact of the matter is, is that it's true um, that there's an Israeli lobby in the US and uh, people are accused of... people When people are accused of being anti-Semitic because they point out the influence of the Israeli lobby in the US or they uh, point out the, the mistreatment of Palestinians by Israel, it's obviously not anti-Semitic uh, yeah. on the face of it. Um, you'd have to look at each specific situation to see if the person has any actual hatred for Jews. But someone who... The vast majority of people, ordinary people, who simply look at uh, the mistreatment of Palestinians and say that's bad, Israel is bad for doing that, they're obviously not anti-Semitic. They don't care about Jews. That's that's maybe the the problem for these people is they don't care that much about Jews. They actually, <laughs> it's kind of trying to say you you care so much about Jews because you hate them so much, and it's like no, I, do you not hear what I said? My focus is on Palestinians. I care about them. I don't really care about Jews. Jews aren't an issue for me because Jews aren't doing so badly. Jews are doing quite well. Why would I be concerned about them? Why would I focus on them at all? They're doing very well on their own, especially in Western, in, in the world, in, 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 in most of the world where they live. They're all doing very well. So what's, why are you focusing on Jews? The Jews, Jews isn't the issue in this situation. It's Palestinians is the issue. Yeah. And that's what brought up this issue that as we're, and the reason we're talking about it now is because essentially Ilan Omar made comments that included uh, criticism of Israeli uh, a treatment of Palestinians. So the focus is on Palestinians, not Jews, but they, I don't know. It's bizarre. The whole situation is bizarre. And like you said earlier on, it's a dangerous situation for ordinary Jews around the world where um, whatever Western governments and Israeli, you know, high-level uh, activists in, in, within those governments act, engaged in activism and support and, and pushing an Israeli agenda are actually creating a situation where those old tro- tropes yeah. about Jews, about ordinary Jews, 
are being kind of are, are, are being pushed to the fore again and they're actually creating uh, or they're likely to create a resurgence of actual anti-Semitism because of what they're doing. If they would just stop, anti-Semitism would continue to decline. But they seem determined through their own action and their own, their own actions and their desire to increase their own power and influence, they're actually hurting the ordinary Jewish people of the world and, and putting them in a dangerous position where whatever latent anti-Semitism might be there can be will find new, uh, you know, new uh, a new impetus or new a new uh, force in society. Yeah, if I say something publicly that is heartfelt, has no, you know, does not target anybody negatively, but seeks to um, seeks to support people who are suffering. So if I engage in like some genuinely humanitarian, honourable, noble speech. In, in, in support of something positive. And a bunch of people all come out and shut me down and tell me to shut the hell up and I'm not allowed to say that, you know, in, in quite a cruel, abusive way. And they say that they are doing it in the name of the Jews. How am I going, ultimately, if you repeat that, how ultimately am I going to feel about Jews in general? If I'm being told that I'm being censored and shut up and denied my civil rights, essentially, in the name of the Jews... Is that in the interest of ordinary Jews? And who's doing that? And who's using the name of the Jews to shut me up? Well, it's their purported leaders. Yeah. And not only the purported leaders, but their non-Jewish buddies in power in, in, in Western governments. Yeah. So they're actually creating a situation that is very negative, potentially very negative for yeah. the Jews by discriminating against and censoring the speech yeah. of non-Jewish people in the name of the Jews, invoking the name of the Jews. The Jews are doing, we're doing this to protect the Jews. You have to shut the hell up and not say anything, regardless of what it is, uh, about Israel. Well, unless it's positive, but you cannot say anything negative about Israel. You cannot support the Palestinians, or you will be slandered and defamed in the name of the Jews. That's and, just such a bad idea. And it's been broadened in, in many other venues too. If, if you use the term globalist, mm-hmm. if you talk about banks and banking and the banking crisis right. 2008, oh, Donald Trump, when in his, in his later speeches, probably written by Bannon as he came close to the election in 2016, was being accused of anti-Semitism, right. of bringing up the old tropes when you talk about globalists, the banks and so on. Um, and it, finally, the etymology, the origins of how Jeremy Corbyn uh, got to this point of being the vile anti-Semite uh, are interesting as well. He was not. He was had just put forward his name in July 2015 um, when the first hint of it came. The Channel Four in the UK and the BBC um, put him to the question, and the question was over his past support for Hezbollah and Hamas. They didn't mention Jews, Israel, or anti-Semitism yet, mm-hmm. but that laid the, fa- the groundwork for a month later, during the actual election itself of Labour Party candidates. The Jewish Chronicle, which is a London-based newspaper, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, it's obviously its readership is tiny. It's primarily aimed at Jews. It's been a printed paper in London since 1840 or something. It's old. Um, that first accused Jeremy Corbyn of anti-Semitism. And it's just completely snowballed from there. Maybe not quite snowballed. It's come in waves. But it's, it's a mania in the UK at the moment where it's every day, daily, mm-hmm. nonstop. You're, you're not supposed to talk about it. You're not supposed to think about it. What they'd like you to do is what 
Meghan McCain did last week. Mm. Just cry about yield it. Yield to pure emotional thinking and just start blubbering. But she did that. That was that was fake, basically, and she did it for her own personal interests. Like she has no concern for the for the Jews or she's no concern about anti Semitism. I mean she's just pandering to she's an example of her doing that as an example of the power of the Israeli lobby. Where she's she expects to get some some bucks for or or some support or some privileges from doing that, from abasing herself uh, at the at the altar of of the Israeli lobby. What about Donald Trump then? Well he's doing the same thing. Shelton Adelson, super Uber Uber Jewish uh, or, or Israeli, pro-Israeli, due to give him twenty-five million dollars for his campaign. I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Um, I think that's about all we can say, really, about uh, about the, the Jewish situation, the, Jew, the Jewish situation, about the Israeli lobby and the current uh, the current brouhaha, I suppose, over anti-Semitism and the Democrat Party. Uh, I think I don't think there's much more to say to it that say about it that you can. Uh, that that would make make more sense. It's you know it is what it is. It's 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 a it's a will to personal power and to influence and within the West uh, uh, at a time when when things are are faltering, I suppose, on the on the global on the global stage or on a global scale. Um, and it's it's kind of like I don't know musical chairs, I suppose. Uh, people grasping for as much power as they possibly can, and desperately, you know, as it, as it's as they feel it slipping away from their grasp. And everyone, everyone's narratives, uh, getting them, as you said to me earlier, everyone's getting hoisted on their own batards by yeah. getting caught up. Right. Now you're in infringing diversity. Right. Now you're infringing anti-Semitism. And right. it's like, rah. Right. Absolutely. Mayhem. So it'll probably, and it'll probably only get worse and more confusing and more, more of a, more of a farce, really. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and we'll try to continue uh, making sense of it as we go ahead. So, if you like this video, uh, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. Um, we'll be back next week or soon enough with another video on another topic. Until then, have a good evening. Thanks for watching. Bye.